Well, as Jason said, um, he spoke about identity a couple days ago, and I want to I carry on with that. And it was really, I, I loved the message. I wasn't here for Jason's message, so I listened to it on the podcast, and, and then I went back and listened to it again. And if you haven't heard it, um, it is a fantastic uh, talk. And I just encourage you, go on the website, ChristCenter.com, um, and, um, and listen to that message, because it is a phenomenal message. And our identity is such a key component, uh, not because we're the center of the universe. In fact, when we think we're the center of the universe, the universe resists us, because it just doesn't go and uh, orbit around us, does it? But the fact that God has created the universe and holds it in his hand means that our identity is very, very key in order for us to function within that universe because who he says that we are is the only place where we're going to thrive. The reality that he created is the only reality wherewith we can be at peace and truly safe. I love this quote. It says, a fish is only truly free in water. You see, when God created an environment and put things into it, he's a good God, so he created an environment where the things that are in it can be truly free. If the fish were to say to itself, well, I want to define the kind of environment that I need, it could jump out of the water if it wanted to, but it would be a short-lived trip, right? And so in the same way, that fish, in order for it to be truly free and in line with the environment that God created, for it to thrive, it has to stay in the ecosystem of health that God created for it. And in the same way, our good God has created an ecosystem of health for us. And our ecosystem, we're not fish, praise God. Praise God, we're not fish. Fish are delicious, we are created to thrive. Our water is relationship. The environment that we were created to thrive in is relationship with God and with others. The ecosystem within which we must live is the ecosystem in which we will be truly free. You see, God gave us a connection with him. We're made in his image. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that there was, and he said, it is good. And then he created man and woman in his image, and he said, it is very good. And before he created woman out of man, you see, isn't it interesting because it says that Eve was taken out of man. Man was whole, Eve was in him, but he was alone, and God said, it's not good that you should be alone. It's interesting because God was with Adam when he said, it's not good for you to be alone. This is a key component. Many of us may have it in our minds that it's just me and God. God's given me a secret wisdom and a greater revelation and an awesome knowledge, and I don't need people. I just need God. And God would say to you, as he said to Adam, it's not good that you should just be alone just with me. Did you catch this? God says, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. And he's with him, talking to him. Adam wasn't alone. He was with God. He says, that's not enough. I'm going to make woman. I'm going to make you interdependent. I'm going to reveal my nature through you and woman. And it says he took woman out of man because he wanted him to be interdependent. He didn't want him to be independent. And so this environment that God created was called Eden. And you know what Eden means? It means paradise. We have a good God who created everything good. And when he created an environment for which we are to th for, within which we are going to thrive, that environment is paradise. And he said, take this paradise and cultivate it and be fruitful and multiply. Create more relationships. This is your natural environment. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. 
So here's this environment. Now, here we live. Do you know where we live? We live in America. It's a fantastic place. We have some beautiful problems of success here in America. And one of the problems of success that we have, and praise God for it, is that we have an extraordinary amount of freedom to where we can dream and think and plan and hope. These are all really good problems of success. But somewhere along the line, and this is a Western mindset, by the way, you are one of 330 million people that live in America who think a certain way and see life through a certain lens. And in this culture where we live, one of the issues that we deal with is we live in a culture that is extraordinarily independent. It is popular in our culture and has been for quite some time, specifically since the Enlightenment era, to believe the idea that we can create our own reality. Our children's songs in the movies say things like, listen to your heart. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Our popular children's movies say, listen to your heart, for it alone knows who you really are. We have a lens that we see reality through, and that lens shapes the way that we think and reason. And it's important for us to be able to examine these lenses because these lenses, whether we know it or not, they're very subtle, and they shape how we think about who we are and who we aren't. And as Jason said in his last sermon very succinctly, you can't name yourself, but it's popular in our culture to believe that we can actually name ourselves. And we're constantly looking for destiny. We're constantly looking for purpose. We're constantly looking to define who am I? And we're talking to others and saying, and you can't define me. And you may be right about that. Other people can't fully define you, but there is one that can define us. And it's the one who created us. And he created us to thrive in our natural habitat. And it's only in the reality that he created. It's only in the ecosystem of what God created that we can actually be free. So our culture says we need to be free to define ourselves however we want. But God says, I have defined who you are. You are made in my image, male and female, and you are very good. Isn't that beautiful? So let me talk to you a little bit about this. Um, if that's true, and it is, then we can be truly free in what God has given us when he gives us our identity. We can be truly free in that. But we live in this place where we sort of want to shape our own destiny. We want to shape our own identity. We want to be able to speak to that. And in fact, we believe that so much now that it's, even when I can even feel it right now, but it's offensive to have somebody come and say, that's actually been predetermined for you. There is someone named God whom you are not, and he has created you as he desired for his good pleasure and for your good. And he is good. Now, here's something that's interesting. As, as I'm coming now and confronting that reality, that way of seeing life, I'm confronting a very real thing that many of us have created. We've created sort of our own alternate reality, our alternative reality. We've developed something in our head based on what we've heard, what we've learned, what we've thought, what we've seen, and we engage in that reality, and we hold it up, and we begin to see things through that lens. And there's no way around that. That's how we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to have experiences and read things and see things and hear stories, and it shapes how we think and reason. But there does come a point where we question and say, does how I think and reason line up with the reality giver? And when we have a revelation of the reality giver, which is Jesus Christ and the Father, then we allow the reality giver 
to confront any alternative realities that we've created. Now, here's an interesting thing about an alternative reality. In so much that I've tried to create an ecosystem or a reality where my identity is something other than what he created and where my relationships are different than what he created, I'm no longer free to thrive. I must now strive to maintain this alternative reality. You see, if God holds all things in his hands, and he does, then I don't have to worry about when I go to sleep whether or not he'll still be holding all things in his hands. But if I have decided that I hold reality in my hands, then I am no longer able to slumber and sleep because when I slumber and sleep, reality falls. You see, there's only one that, can only, that never slumbers and sleeps, and that's the Father. And you and I, to the extent that we have created these alternate realities, we've written our own rules of reality, we have to maintain those realities. And we know it. We know it deep down because the truth is in those moments, in that way, in our own way, we've made ourselves the center of our own alternate universe. And all of the real universe resists us. So we're constantly having to prop it up. We're constantly having to put the card castle back together. The house of cards. We're constantly having to maintain this alternate reality because in point of fact, it exists mostly in my mind and symptomatically in my relationships up to the level that I've allowed it to affect those around me. Are you guys with me? Now, Satan's attack from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden was exactly in this place. What Satan did was he essentially, when you distill down every argument, when you distill down everything that lifts itself up against, it comes down to this. Satan comes and he says, God is not good. You are not who he says you are. You must make a name for yourself and create a good environment without him. You must create an ecosystem in which you can thrive because he's not good. You remember he comes to Adam and Eve and God had said to him, everything in the garden is yours. Everything in this culture that I've created you called paradise. I've created a culture, an ecosystem in which you can thrive. And everything in it is good. And you can have anything that you want. There's only one place that I'm going to give you so that you can actually choose relationship. Because how many of you know to not be able to reject God is to not be able to choose him. And so he gave them the opportunity to choose relationship. And he said, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, they already knew God, didn't they? And what is God? He's good. So they already knew what was good. There was just simply the knowledge of an alternate reality called evil. And the enemy comes, and he says to Adam and Eve, because they were together near the tree, and he says, has God really said that you shouldn't eat of this alternate reality? Because the reason why he doesn't want you to do that, and this is what Satan does, is he comes and he says, the reason why God doesn't want you to partake of these alternate realities, these alternative lifestyles, this alternative way of believing about life, is because he knows in that day you will be like him, and you will be choosing to be as smart as he is. But here's the thing. He's not good. There's greater revelation. There's secret wisdom. There's progressive truth. There's something bigger and better. There's a better environment that he's keeping from you. And you're going to have to create it because you can't trust him. He's not really good. And you guys, at the bottom of it, when you distill it down, every argument that lifts itself up against the knowledge of Christ Every vain philosophy, every alternative lifestyle that we see, everything that we've seen through all of history simply comes down to this, that the enemy comes to us and says, God is not good. 
He didn't have you in mind. He didn't create an ecosystem where you can be truly free. Yes, you're a fish in water, but you weren't supposed to be. You were supposed to be a a flying fish. Make yourself a helmet and go to land. (laughs) And so we go about making helmets. But here's the thing. They don't last. We have to prop them up. When we get up on the land, our fins don't work too good. We just flop around. We might be able to breathe for a little while. But we have to prop it up. We have to maintain it. And that's what we do in our vain philosophies. And so to the extent that we're doing that, to the extent that we're going against our good father's wishes, his commands, his commands are not burdensome. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, to love God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and to love your neighbor as much as I've loved them. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. He just says, choose the ecosystem that I've created for you and be the son or the daughter that I've created you as. Trust that when I created you, I knew exactly what I was doing and I'm not holding anything back that's good from you. And the enemy comes and says, yeah, but don't you feel kind of like maybe he is? And we're like, maybe. And that's the lie of the enemy. So if this is the case, and I, and I say unapologetically, please consider these things that I'm saying to you. I believe they are true. We see in Christ that they are true. I don't, I don't apologize, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be, I don't, I'm not beating you in the head with something. I'm saying consider that this is this God who didn't even withhold Christ Jesus to redeem us back. And he says, if you see Jesus, you've seen me. And I'm telling you, and I've tasted. And as, as someone who's, who's experienced him, he really is good. He really is good. And so then, since that's the case, then I, then I want to talk to you about some things about him that make us able to rest if he's the one that names us. Are you with me? See, if he's, if he's the one, if he's the reality maker, and his name is creator, if he's the creator, he's the architect, he's created the place where I can be truly free, and he's created me to be free in it. And then to join him in, in bringing that freedom, if that's true, then, then there are places where I have been having to juggle, I have been having to maintain this alternate reality and this alternative lifestyle. The one where I'm God and he's not. The one where I define and he doesn't. The one where I'm progressive and he's old. But those things exhaust me because I have to always be propping it up. I have to always be proving to the world. And then the worst judge of all I have to prove to the worst judge of all, I have to prove to my own soul that knows that I'm lying that I'm God, that I'm smart enough, and I'm big enough, and I have to prove it every day, and every day I know that the minute that I fall asleep, my world falls apart, and every day I know it's already fallen apart. I'm just propping up the pieces. So the good news today is I can turn to him. So what's he like? What's he like? I want to tell you three things about what He's like. I want to tell you about three things that if, if you and I will embrace the ecosystem and the name that he gives us, these are things that are ours. These are things that we don't have to maintain. These are places where we can slumber and sleep because when we slumber and sleep, he's awake and he's holding it all together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Psalm 103. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquities and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction 
who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad to be fired from being the judge. I am so much meaner to myself than God is to me. I am, I'm just telling you as the judge, when I sit on the bench as my own judge, I'm much more harsh than he is and yet much less merciful. He satisfies your mouth with good things. He cares about the stuff that we need. So your youth is renewed like the eagle's. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. If you're here today and you go, fear him, why are you afraid of him? It means respect and honor and awe. It means that you know that he has all things in his hands. And if it comes down to whose opinion you care the most about, then you would say, I fear the king. Do you fear me, says the devil? No, I fear the king. He's a good father. The Lord, as a father, pities his children. Now this is New King James Version, but as a father loves his children, as a father cares about the needs of his children, So the Lord pities us. So the Lord looks upon us in our need. When I was a little kid, about five or six, I was with my dad. My dad used to work on several ranches, and he would go out and we'd change the wheel lines. How many of you have ever changed wheel lines in here? A couple, couple, come on, that's what I'm talking about. All the farmers in the house say, what? Okay, so anyway, we went out to, we would go out, and here's the irrigation pump here. And we would go out and you'd turn on, I mean, it's pretty fun. You drain out the wheel lines and you'd go out there and start the, start the mule, and it rolls a little ways. And then you go and you hook up the hose and then you go start up this big old irrigation pump. And as I was up there, irrigation pump was probably about this, about this high, probably. And I would climb up on top of it and I was jumping off. I would climb up and I'd jump off and I'd climb up and I'd jump off. And my dad goes, hey, son, whoa, don't do that. And I was like, why not, dad? It's funny. He goes, don't do it. You don't want to do that. And I was like, okay. And, and he goes, the ground's not very steady here. And I'm thinking, the ground's not steady? What, terra firma? I didn't know how to say terra firma. <laughs> the dirt's not hard. And so I'm like, whatever. So dad goes out to, to do some stuff. And I'm like, and I start jumping off again. And so I jump off, I jump off, I jump off. As I jump off, the ground crumbles under my feet. And suddenly I'm like, Phew! like up here, and I'm going like this, and the ground is crumbling, and I'm looking down, and it's dropping down into water that's dark down there. I hear it splashing. I can barely see the top sheen of it. I don't know if you can make that out very well, but that's a little dog in a sinkhole. See his little face? He fell into a sinkhole. Well, that ground was not very firm there. (laughs) Yeah, say la. So... So if you're here, that's an old word for contemplate, meditate. So, so my dad sees me, sees my little self going like this, and the dirt's falling. And I've, I can tell you, there have been very few times that I've been that scared in my life. But I'll tell you one thing I did. I said, Dad! And he comes running. He comes running. And he grabs me out of that sinkhole. And he holds me. 
And I'm like, the ground is falling in the dirt in the Shubadabasaba. And my dad said, son, let that be a lesson to you and forwith and wherewithal and notwithstanding and it shall be and thou will rememberest thou and thou should have knownest and now I will. No, of course he didn't do any of that. It's ridiculous. He grabbed me and he comforted me and he didn't say anything. He said, are you okay? And I said, I'm okay now. You see, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. He forgives your sins. It says he doesn't repay us according to our transgressions. He forgives us. When we go jumping out onto the shallow ground of our little alternative realities, when we go against the ethics and the ecosystem that he created in which we can thrive and the ground falls out from underneath of us, maybe it's in 10 minutes, maybe it's in 10 years, maybe it's in 70 years, but when the ground falls out and we say, Father, then he pities us like a father pities his children. And he grabs us out and he says, do you believe in my son, Jesus Christ? And we say, I do believe. And he says, come home. You see, this life contains all the lessons that we need for righteousness and for good. This life is filled with the things that we need to grow into holiness and sanctification if we will choose them. The father doesn't browbeat us into that. In some places, the ground is not firm. Should it fall through, we call to this father. See, he's the father that pities us. And if he's a father that pities us, then I don't need to prop myself up with all my defensiveness in the things that I care about in the places where I say, no, 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 the ground is solid, the ground is solid. And our father says, there's nothing under that ground. It's a thin layer of popular culture right now. And it will fall. Don't jump there. He's a good father. Isn't that good? Isn't that good to know he's a good dad? He's also a fantastic big brother. In Hebrews it says, for, he, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call us his brethren. That means brothers and sisters. You guys, we are Jesus' little brothers and sisters. And he is not ashamed to go, that's my little brother up there. He's yappy, but I like him. <laughs> and he says this, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. He's not ashamed of us. Romans says, and we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's us. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. All of us that choose Christ are predestined in Christ to be able to be like him. Brothers and sisters. And I love this. It says that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. What does that mean? Jesus is our big brother. Isn't that great? How many of you understand that we have trouble in this life? In Job, it says five, seven, in Job 5, 7, as surely as the sparks fly upward, man is born into adversity. If some of you are like, I must be doing it wrong because life is hard. No, you're doing it right. Life's actually hard. It is. Don't worry. Don't worry. We're having the same issues. Sparks are flying upwards. Troubles are a-coming. But here's the beauty. The Bible also says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. The Bible says, Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. I call you my friends because I tell you everything that I'm doing. 
And a brother is born for adversity. Let me tell you a story about this. This young man, this young man, his name is Jordan Rice. He was 13 years old in this picture. He and his mother and his brother were driving out through a a very shallow creek that was starting to flood and the car stalled in the middle of it. It's very wide. So they immediately got on the cell phone and said, hey, our car stalled in the middle of this thing. What do we do? And they said, just wait, we're gonna send help. But as they were waiting for help, the water started getting intense. It was flood season, and this is in Australia, in Queensland, and it just starts gushing bad. Well, this, this young man here, Jordan, can't swim. He's terrified of water. He's there with his little brother. When they finally get there, they can rescue one person at a time. They go to rescue, and he says, take my little brother first. So they take this little brother first, and when they get back, he was dead. The water had overwashed and took him. This boy is a hero. There's something about it when we see a big brother, when we see someone who lays down their life, there's something in us that goes, I'm going to see that little hero in heaven. And I pray to God when my moment comes that I'm courageous like this guy. There's something in us that reaches up and goes, I was born to be a hero. I was born to do the right thing. I was born to be like my big brother, Jesus, who laid down his life for all of us and said, make sure they get safe. Make sure my little brothers and sisters get there safe and then come back for me. You see, it speaks to the salvation that Christ gave. It resonates in our heart because we know that we need a big brother. We know we need a big brother that says, you make sure my little brother's okay. You make sure my little sister's okay. I'll I'll figure it out. And if I don't, they're gonna live. That's what Jesus did. See, we have a big brother that when the water is gushing and when things are getting crazy and we're right in the middle of the thing that we stink at and that scares the bejeebers out of us, that we can say, Jesus, hey, Jesus, where are you at? Where are you at? And he's like, hey, 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 don't worry about it. Take the rope. I got you. I got you. Your big brother's here. Your big brother's here. There was a young man, he had an older brother, and, uh, and he's hanging out in school. His older brother is about five years older than him. And there was a, a kid, it was, it was right at the cusp where you go from junior high into high school, but it was a smaller school. So this particular school, you ended up with uh, eighth graders that were with the elementary school kids. So there was a kid that got held back from the big brother's class. And this kid was a bully. And he started messing with this big brother's little brother. And finally, one of these days, the little brother comes up and goes, hey, man, this kid, let's call him Steve, Steve keeps messing with me. He keeps punching me in the arm. He keeps pushing me out of line. He's five years older than me. It's terrifying. His little brother's a little brother. You know what I mean? He's a little kid. And here's this eighth grader beating up on someone five years younger than him. So when the big brother hears about it, he waits because in this particular school, the junior hires would come over to the high school for PE. And so he waits. And when that little bully comes walking down the hall, the big brother just waits and he comes walking over and just grabs him by the neck and tacks him up against the wall and says, this ends. Didn't even have to mention what the deal was. Just said, this ends. That's my little brother. And then he never touched him again. How many of you are getting bullied by the devil? How many of you are like, man, he's like bigger than me and scarier than me. And he comes after me when you're not around. How many of you want to go to your big brother and say, there's a bully in my life, and every time I get by myself, he discourages me and tells me what a worthless loser I am and and an addict and how I'm stupid and I ain't going to admit that amount to nothing and how my business is going to fail and how everybody's going to find out I'm a fake. And your big brother goes, no, that is not going to happen. Hold up. 
And then he just grabs the devil by the neck and goes, that's my little sister. That's my little brother. And this ends. This ends. You see, you can't defend yourself against a foe that's bigger than you. You need a big brother. Jesus is your big brother. How many of you trying to prop up facing your demons? I'm not scared of you. (laughs) Call your big brother. And I love this one. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. We are the bride of Christ. And yeah, we're a little dusty. Got some areas that are a little blemishy. A couple of pre- Wedding zits to deal with. Maybe a little workout regimen to get rid of the... uh, Anyway. We got some stuff, but Jesus is dealing with that stuff. Jesus is washing us with the water of the word. Jesus is purifying us. Jesus is crazy about us. He's the bridegroom. He is, he's excited about marrying us. He looked at us and goes, oh, you, you are the only one for me. I'm going to marry that girl. I'm going to marry that girl. You're chosen. He sees you and goes, right there. Try to mess. Try to mess with my bride. Go ahead, devil. I wish you would mess with my bride right now. I wish, I wish you would try to mess with, you want to see what I'm going to do? And we know what he did. He defeated him completely. And he's coming for us. He's planning a wedding for us. Actually, it's kind of funny. This is like the only wedding in all of history where the bride's not involved in planning the wedding. It's kind of wild, isn't it? I just thought of that just right now. That's a, he loves you that much. He's actually involved in the wedding planning. He's like, no, 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 let me get this. I got this. And, 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 for, the one, and for the first time ever in history, too, by the way, the brides are going to love it. They're going to love what the, what the groom came up with. So there's two news, new ones right there. This is a revelation day. But look at this. Look at this. Oh, look at this. As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. I mean, he looks bummed. Jesus is like, oh man, no, no. You are the bride of Christ. You don't have to prop it. I'm special. I'm special and I'm anointed and I was created for bigger things than the things that are happening now in my tiny little universe. Don't you doubt me. I'm somebody. God's like, hey, put that aside. That looks exhausting. I'm super anointed to lead a bunch of ministries and I'm going to be huge like Elvis and Jesus and, and I'm going to be the next. Uh, you always know you're in trouble. You're being deceived. If, you, if I hear you say the words, I'm going to be the next, and then you name someone's name, you are already getting ripped off. Okay, just know that. I have Smith's anointing and I'm going to be the next B- Billy Joel and Billy Graham together. No, be you. Be you. You're going to be the next you. You're the you. 
Like he's like, like Jesus got bored and he's like, I only had so many anointings. Here's nine, share them. <laughs> what is that? No, you are the bride of Christ. He chose you and he's coming for you and he rejoices over you. You don't have to prop up your destiny. You don't have to work real hard to get there. He sees you. He is pursuing you. He wants to marry you. He's going to put the ring on your finger. You're not going to build your own ring. I built my own ring, and and I'm going to invent my husband, and I'm going to marry him, and then I'm going to have a destiny and a purpose. He's like, your destiny is to be my bride, and I am pursuing you. So if you have been operating, and I think to some degree all of us have, in an alternative life, that means you've believed somewhere that God is not good and that you have to create a name for yourself and create an environment where you can thrive. Set that aside and know that in every area where you've been working, whether it's against the rushing waters, the flood that scares you, well, you have a big brother that rescues you. Whether it's the bully that intimidates you, well, you have a big brother that, re- that, that rescues you. If it's the place where you're standing on ground and you've fallen through and your life is falling apart, you have a father that pities you and rescues you and runs to you and doesn't count your sins against you. You just turn to him and he just says, come on back, son. Come back to reality. Come on back, daughter. Let me heal you. Through blood, the blood of Jesus, I could just heal you. I could just restore you. And then lastly, if you've been trying to make a name for yourself and trying to, trying to make yourself chosen and make yourself important and make yourself seen, he chooses you and you're important and he sees you. You're the bride and he is the groom. So wherever you are today, or maybe in all those places, probably in some level we are, turn to him. You don't have to maintain that anymore because these things are true of him. These things are true of you. The prayer servant team is going to come, and if you need prayer today, and I I trust that several of us do need prayer today, then I want you to come and receive prayer. And if today you want to turn to this good God, I want to make an opportunity for you to do that today. So I want you to just close your eyes this time and stay seated this time. I know, right? We're just breaking all the rules, changing the liturgy. I can't get saved sitting down. Yes, you can. He saw you. He thinks you are. Woo! He's coming to you. I want you to close your eyes and let's just pray this together. It's an introduction to this father, this son, this beautiful groom. Father, I believe that you're good. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to show that you're good. Now, I know that I've sinned. Please forgive me. I want to abandon my old lifestyle. And I want to choose you. Be my God. Be my Father. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. And I will follow you all my life. And I will learn your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you just became a follower of Christ, if this was the first time you decided to become a follower of Christ today, would you just raise your hand? Is there anybody here that just became a follower of Christ today? Well, then praise God, we're all followers of Christ. And I think today, 
We have a better picture of that, yeah? Prayer servant team, would you come? And for the rest of you, be blessed. Go share this good news with somebody. And today, if you need prayer, if you need healing, if you need encouragement, please receive prayer. We need it, one from another. God bless you.